We are going to, so here's the deal. I've got 25 minutes, and I will, resp- and I will do everything in my power to stay within that 25 minutes. And as scattered as my brain is right now from coming off hood to coast, I might be five minutes, or I might be 55 minutes, but um, we'll see where we go. But here's where I trust that in my weakness, he's made strong. Um, we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. Before we get there, though, I just want to remind you guys, either I'll be up here afterwards or Steve will be up here to give you a couple of announcements, um, given that we have some changes coming soon with the place that we're meeting and the time that we're meeting. And so we've got some really cool options that we find out about tomorrow as far as where we transition to for our meetings in the fall. So you'll hear from one of us um, after, after uh, our teaching time and before our eating time. Um, But we're going to cover Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to finish up the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically verses 13 all the way through the rest of the chapter, which is verse 29. Um, So I'll try to keep it brief. But really what Jesus is doing in this sermon, I've had such a powerful impact through just studying and Um, contemplating this whole message that Jesus is giving on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really funny because this one particular image keeps coming into my mind. Every time I'll think about or meditate on or study this passage that Jesus is teaching here on the hill, this one image always comes back in. And so I'll have to tell you about the image. And I think this image keeps coming into my mind because it really is a reflection of the theme that Jesus is giving throughout this whole sermon. And so the image that keeps popping in is actually of an old painting. It's a print of an old painting that I saw years and years and years ago. And I actually looked online a little bit to try to find like an actual picture so I could put it up for you, but I couldn't. Um, But this, this print that I saw, this painting that I saw a long time ago just vividly sticks in my mind. And it's a picture or a painting of an old man in a garden. And it's a beautiful kind of garden scene. And the old man is sitting there in a chair with his hands folded and, and his, his eyes are closed and his head's bowed and he's got his Bible in his lap. And it's a very beautiful kind of spiritual picture where there's this old man in, gar- in a garden praying. And I keep thinking about this image, but then if you look at the painting a little bit closer, you see that, wait a minute, hold on. That guy's he's looking down and it looks like he's praying, but his eyes are actually open. So he's not, his eyes aren't closed. He's looking down at something. And then so you kind of follow his line of sight to see what he's looking down at. And you look at his hands and you see that, wait, they're not together. There's something in his, there's like a lemon or something in his hands. And then you look closer down a little further and it's not a Bible that's in his lap. It's like some kind of tin or a container or something. Wait a minute, this guy's not praying. He's looking down and squeezing lemons into a tin. It looks totally spiritual, and then you know, with a closer look, you realize, dude, this guy's just squeezing lemons. He looks so spiritual, but he's actually not. And, <laughs> and that's what I keep thinking about this sermon. It's like Jesus is exposing the Pharisees. They look so spiritual, so godly. But really, if you take a closer look, and that's what Jesus is doing in this sermon, is he's really describing for us in great detail the righteousness that comes from a follower of Jesus, what the life of a follower of Jesus really looks like, one that operates 
in the kingdom of God the way that we're supposed to operate in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is describing that for us throughout this whole sermon, and it's really, really quite fascinating and beautiful. But he's also unpacking the fake righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees in this whole sermon. So it's really been fun to see how Jesus you know, compares the fake righteousness that comes from the scribes and the Pharisees and the real righteousness that comes from a dedicated follower of Jesus that you can't manufacture and you can't fake because the righteousness that comes from Jesus is a righteousness that comes from a transformed and loving heart that only he can do. And then that life of God, that divine quality of God flows from the inside out. And the two might look similar until you actually take a closer look and realize what the motivations of those actions and words really are. Is, are they coming from a life transformation that comes from God himself? Or are you just doing the stuff that the scribes and the Pharisees tell you to do? And I, I really believe wholeheartedly that the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted righteousness. They wanted to be pleasing in God's eyes. They wanted to be the people that God wanted them to be. But the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees was they chose the wrong path to get there. And their path to get there was really nothing more than legalistic obedience. And then they were telling everybody else that that's the path to righteousness. And Jesus comes and stands on that mountain and all the crowds gather around and he says, No, this is what the follower of Jesus looks like and begins to make all these really cool descriptions of the life of a follower of Jesus. And this is why the sermon is so incredibly beautiful. But what I love to do is, while, while I'm reading this sermon, is imagine the people that Jesus is preaching to. I have to remind myself of that because it's such a beautiful scene in my mind. Because Jesus stands up on the hill and the thousands gather beneath him. And who are they? They're the poor, the disenfranchised. They're the, the broken people of society, the lower echelon. They're all coming in with ears open and jaws dropped to listen to every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. And what does Jesus do as he's describing for them the righteousness that comes from God, the life of a follower of Jesus? He's inviting all of them into that. And he's saying, you are blessed. You're, and he swings wide the gate to everyone in the world of who can come into the kingdom of God and says, blessed are what? The poor, the broken, the, the meek. All of you who are listening in this audience and all of us thousands of years later are blessed. And blessing simply means God is with you and for you. And what Jesus did at the beginning of the sermon is he totally turned around the whole prevailing thought of what it actually means to be blessed and who the blessed really are. And so Jesus is inviting inviting everybody from that sermon onward into the kingdom of God and into real righteousness from the inside out. So cool. So then, again, I'm not going to like repack, unpack the whole sermon of the mount. That's what we've been doing for the last like summer. Um, but I do want to hit to the very end of it where Jesus wraps up this whole sermon. Because he ends it with another. He started it with a cool compare-contrast, and now he ends it with another kind of comparison. And he compares four things for us. And he compares these four things for us to really show us how to get on the path 
that leads to genuine rightness with God and to divert us from the path that leads to fake righteousness that we might think is real righteousness. And so he gives these four four comparisons. And the four comparisons that we're going to look at, all four of them in the rest of Jesus' sermon, the first one is the wide gate and the narrow gate that Jesus talks about. And we'll talk about that. And then the next comparison that Jesus gave was the good fruit and the bad fruit. And then the next comparison Jesus gave was of the true disciple and the fake disciple. And then Jesus talked about the comparisons of the wise builder who built this house on the rock and the unwise builder who built this house in the sand. And then he wraps up the whole Sermon on the Mount with that. So the first comparison, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, Jesus says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. He says, enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate, it's small. It's not easy, but it leads to life. The wide gate leads to destruction. Now, I've often thought of, because I've often heard that this is in reference to doctrinal soundness. And the wide gate is all the other doctrines in the world, and the narrow gate is the one true doctrine that is the biblical doctrine that leads us to Jesus. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Given it's a great truth, and it's a great, I mean, it's an an awesome, I think, and correct worldview is, yeah, there's a million doctrines out there, and one of them is really going to lead us to real life with Jesus. But that's not what Jesus talks about anywhere in the sermon. Jesus isn't really talking about doctrinal soundness because the whole sermon, what is Jesus talking about in his Sermon on the Mount? He's talking about what the life of a follower of Jesus looks like. A life that's been transformed from the inside out. A life that operates well in the kingdom of God. And a life that isn't the fake righteousness, which is masked by obedience, but a life that is real righteousness where obedience is the natural result. And even though they look the same, there's a massive difference. And so Jesus says, follow the narrow path. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. I think the wide path that Jesus is talking about that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life, the narrow path is simply surrendering to the authority of his lordship of being a follower of Jesus instead of a follower of ourselves or the world. It's, it's easy to take the wide road and do what we want to do and what everybody else wants to do. The narrow path, the hard road to take is to actually take up our cross and follow him. To deny ourselves is one of the hardest things in life to do. And I think that's where Jesus is going here. And I think it is so easy. I think that's the way of humanity. The way of humanity is just to do what you want and to be your own authority. And the way of God in the kingdom of God, because every king has a, has, every kingdom has a king, and if we surrender to that king, then I think that's the narrow road that leads to life. And I think it's easy for us to choose the wide, the wide road because of the narratives that we have been told for so long. I think we have listened to the wrong narrative. And I think we tend to easily listen to the wrong narrative. And when I'm talking about the, two, the narratives that we're listening to, I think there's two narratives about God that we hear all the time. And one of them is really, really 
loud. And the narrative that we hear about God that is really loud leads us onto the, the wide path that leads to destruction. And the two narratives come out of Genesis chapter 2. And there's one, Satan's narrative and there's God's narrative. And I think these are the two narratives that we have heard ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, this is, this is God's narrative right here. Listen to this. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of that, you will certainly die. That's God's narrative. And so, let's put out on a list what God's narrative is. I think I wrote it down here. Yes, God's narrative. Here's what God says. There's a dangerous tree. You can eat all the trees in the garden, but there's one tree that's dangerous. Don't eat it. And if you eat it, you're going to be in big trouble. You're die. So what's the, what's the narrative that we get? What's the message that we get from this? God always is looking out for us. He's telling us that there's a dangerous tree. Why would he tell me that there's a dangerous tree? Because he has my best interest in mind all the time. Yes, obviously. And so I should listen to him. Because he has my best interest in mind, I should totally listen to God, and then I'll live. That's awesome. What's Satan's narrative? Genesis chapter 2, verse wherever it starts. Oh, 3, sorry, my mistake. Now here's what Satan says. Now the serpent, Satan as we know him now, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And what's her response? The woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden because even if you touch it, you'll die. I don't know where she got the even if you'll touch it part. And then, next slide. Oh, you will not die, the serpent says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that fruit of the tree was good for, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So, we get Satan's narrative out of this, too. Listen to what Satan's narrative, here's what Satan says. Satan says, oh, this is a good tree. God's keeping something good from you. You need to explore that further. He doesn't have your best interest in mind, does he? He's trying to keep some good things for himself. All God really cares about is himself, not you. He's hiding things from you. And so, you should eat it. You should do what feels right for you. You should do what is right in your own eyes because then if you don't trust, don't trust God. Even in religious circles, you're going to hear this narrative. Even in religious circles, you hear all God cares about is His glory. That's all that matters is His glory. And then it makes you think that He doesn't have your best interest in mind whatsoever. And that causes us to distrust God. And we do not have any room to distrust God especially those of us that are already broken and have a view of God from our broken fathers, like, I need all the help that I can get in trusting God. I should not listen to this narrative, but this is the loud one that is the wide path that we hear 
all the time. And so if I can't trust him, then I need to only trust myself. If he doesn't have my best interest in mind, then I better do what's right in my eyes. Ooh, that tree does look good. I think I'll take some. And then when I do, well, how did it work out for Adam and Eve? How did it work out for all of us? That's the wide path. It's the easy road is to not trust God, but to trust ourselves instead. And that is the message of the world. And here's the scary part about being on the wide path is I think there are so many people, and God forbid that I be in this camp myself, I think there are so many people that can be on the wide path but fool themselves into thinking they're on the narrow path. They're on the wide path because what they are doing, it looks to be so spiritual. They think they're on the narrow path because they've got the best Christianese language and they can say everything that they want to to make themselves look and sound so spiritual. And they can do great acts of nobility and do all sorts of amazing, good, noble, just things. But really, when it comes down to it, they're only doing what they want to do if and when it pleases them. And so they say they're on the narrow path because of their great language and their great works of service, but really they're only doing what they want to do, and they're on the wide path and don't even know it. That's what's so scary about this. And so Jesus is saying, be careful. Really watch the motives of your heart. And the narrow path is to surrender your life to the king of the world that knows who we are supposed to be and how life is supposed to operate and just wants us back into relationship with him so he can care for us the way that we need. That's the narrow path. But surrendering our rights to his lordship is hard. It's hard because we always hear the other message. It's hard. Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so, yeah, there is going to be sacrifice in surrendering to him. It's not all, what, unicorns and rainbows when we give our life to Jesus. We do have, there's going to be times of difficulty. And, and I think the, the loud, wrong narrative screams that into us, causing us to think, yeah, if you give your life to him, all he cares about himself, and so what he's going to do is only what glorifies him and isn't pleasing to you. So if you accept Jesus as your Savior, he's going to send you to Africa in a place that you don't want to go with the people that you don't want to be with, whether you like it or not, just so he can get the glory. No. God wants us to be us and use who we are for the advancement of his kingdom in a way that is life-giving. And yeah, there's going to be sacrifices, but they're going to be good sacrifices. I guarantee it. I have sacrificed things since I've followed Jesus. I've sacrificed freedoms. I've sacrificed some desires. Most of them would be destructive anyways. <laughs> but those sacrifices, I'd never, I'd never trade back for anything else. Because this is the way Jesus described it. When we give our lives to him, surrender to his lordship, he said it's like this. He said it's like a guy, Matthew 13, who saw a pearl. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I, I want that pearl. I've never seen anything like that before. So what does the guy do? He goes and sells everything just so that he can have that pearl. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. I'm going to give all this up because nothing is better than this pearl. It's a joyful sacrifice following Jesus. I think that's where he's getting at here in this sermon. 
just surrendering to his lordship, giving for him. So good. So then, here's where he goes next. So that's the comparison of the wide path and the narrow path. And then Jesus talks about the fruit and the good fruit and the bad fruit. Here's what he says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So now what what is Jesus saying? Watch out for these wolves that dress up like sheep. What's he talking about there? Obviously, as you read into it, he's talking about people that are faking it. Watch out for them. Why would a wolf dress up like a sheep and go into a sheep pen just to behave like sheep. Why would, it, why would it do that? Only to serve its self-interest, right? Only so that it can get what it wants in a crafty, cunning kind of a way. And he says, watch out for that. They're only, watch out for their program. Watch out for those that look so spiritual, that look and sound so noble and so religious and so godly, But in reality, they're only there to serve themselves. Don't buy into it. Like I said before, we can mask fake righteousness so well with with legalistic obedience. But the real righteousness that comes from God is an obedience that comes from the inside out. Where the result of our life is obedience to the king because we trust him, right? We haven't heard the other narrative or actually believe the other. We believe that he has our best interest in sake, say, at sake, in mind, at whatever. Anyways, so here, Jesus says, you'll, but here, here's the deal. These fake sheep, you'll know them if you watch very carefully and examine what kind of fruit comes out of their, out of their life. You'll realize, if you look closely enough, if you study for long enough, who they are, and where their beliefs really lie or their values really lie, you'll know them by their fruit because what's inside will eventually work its way out, right? Right away, my mind goes to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. When Paul, I don't have the slide up there, but Galatians 5, 22, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy. Boom, there you go. Say it again. Love, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, kindness. Making sure they get them all, I get them all covered. <laughs> but yeah, the fruit of the spirit is that's the that's that's the stuff that we got that event that we got to look for, and we can only fake that for so long. Then, here's where he goes next. He says this: Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform mighty miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Amazing. There's going to be a day when it's all actually really determined. 
And only God knows our true motives and our true heart. And there's going, and it's going to be an amazing day because I think some people will be uncovered. Uh, some people will be uncovered in that they can do seemingly amazing and noble and godly and even miraculous things, but they're only doing them to serve themselves and their interests, and they will, on that day will finally be exposed. And so Jesus is telling us in this whole sermon, basically ending with the seriousness of what it really means to be in genuine relationship with God as opposed to fake acting like we are. And it's serious. And if we are in this camp, then what we're doing is we're building our life on a foundation that's going to fall. The wrong foundation. And of course, which leads us into our next comparison that Jesus gave, the wise builder and the unwise builder. And here's what Jesus said. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is so important, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So there's two men, one that builds on the rock and one that builds on the sand, and they both build houses. And I would imagine that both of those houses looked very good, <laughs> and they looked very similar, a lot like real righteousness and fake righteousness that comes from you know, legalism and pharisaical mindset or actually genuinely loving relationship with Jesus Christ. They both can look very good, but if they're built on the wrong foundation, what's the foundation? Jesus says any house that's built on the rock will stand, and right away, I just think about what is he talking about when he says built on the rock? Yes, rock is Christ, but what does that mean? I think about a great rock in the scriptures that Jesus took his disciples to called Caesarea Philippi. And there, sometimes Jesus would do this. He would take his disciples away to give them a special moment where he would teach them the most profound and important things about the kingdom of God. And as he took them to Caesarea Philippi, he asked them a question. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh my gosh. They had all sorts of creative answers. Some people say that you're Elijah the prophet, back from the dead. And some people say you're this, and some people say you're this. But who do you say that I am? And that's the great moment that Peter had. So many, just, so many shining moments. Yeah, he had some other moment blunders. <laughs> but one of his shining moments was so shiny because he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what was Jesus' response to that? Ah, oh, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. And he said, on that rock, that confession that you just made of me being the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, because I want to build my church on something that will stand. I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What is the right? If we built our life 
on the simple fact that Jesus is God and we're not, and we surrender our rights to his lordship only because we trust him, and then we build our life on that, it's a life that will count. It's a life that will last. It's a life that God will be so proud of. That's the rock that Jesus is getting at. That's the overall message of this sermon, is a real life that is built on me is going to be a real life, (laughs) not a fake one. It's going to be genuine, and it's going to last. It's going to stand the test of time for all of eternity. And I want to end just to remind us that Jesus says this, he who puts these things into practice. We have to remember that he's not looking for perfection. He just wants us to practice. Practice takes work. Practice making him God so that we don't make ourselves God. <laughs> we got to practice it every single day. It's not one decision. We have to practice it every single waking moment because our inherent human nature always tries to take the reins. And so he who puts these things in practice. Oh my gosh, I love this sermon so much. Not mine, Jesus. (laughs) I absolutely love it because it keeps the main thing the main thing. Don't even try to be God. But you can let me be God because I have your best interest at stake in mind. And just follow me. Take care of you. Let's live that way. Let's practice it. Let's keep practicing it every day until finally he comes back and makes everything right so we don't have to worry about it anymore.